This is Counsel for Life, a podcast engaging conversations about mental health and the Christian life with licensed biblical counselors Beth Broom and Eliza Huey. Welcome back to Counsel for Life. I'm Eliza. And I'm Beth. And we are here this week to talk about a very important subject that actually many people are talking about right now. And um, it is the report that came out, the guidepost report from the SBC um, regarding the abuse that has been um, exposed through that report. And we know a lot of people are talking about it. And we're another voice into this. We just want to share a conversation with you about what we're thinking about regarding this. As counselors who are trauma trained, we want to be able to be a voice into this to the church because we love the church and uh, we see this as a vital time in the church. And so we want to talk about it. And uh, what I will say from the start, we're not going to discuss or name people in the report specifically about the, the alleged intentions or the um, actions of the people that were involved here, we are here to discuss the recommendations that were given by the Sexual Abuse Task Force. Um, And we will link to this full guidepost uh, solutions report from the independent investigation on our show notes. So if you're interested in reading the whole thing, it's long, it's not short, it is long, but the first couple pages are really important because it gives some recommendations. So We're going to be talking about that and just kind of have a conversation. So we invite you to uh, listen into that as we uh, discuss this. But first, I just want to kind of talk a little bit about some of those recommendations. Beth, you you read those as well. Um, You you and I both read those recommendations. Mm -hmm. Any first thoughts as you read those recommendations? Or well, my my actually my first thought is that whether you are a Southern Baptist or not a Southern Baptist. These are good recommendations, right? I mean, obviously yes. they're they're birthed out of some really some really terrible things that have been uncovered, but at the end of the day, the recommendations are good recommendations for churches in general. Uh, some of them are a bit more specific to some things that are we're responding to some things that have happened, but um, but man, overall, it's, they're really helpful things that any church could benefit from, I think. That's so important because because we're not here to target any one organization. We're actually saying this is the church. And so whether your church has thousands in it or, or just hundreds or even less than that, this is something all churches need to be very aware of. And so just kind of talking a little bit about what the Sexual Abuse Task Force has identified as recommendations. There's a few that just stood out to me that I think are important. And one of the things that I loved in there is that they really strongly uh, recommended that the executive committee hire subject matter experts, subject matter experts in dealing with abuse to receive calls for sure there's going to be more calls as these kind of things do um, initiate other people to share their story, to provide guidance um, on the subject of sexual abuse and to provide training and educational opportunities. And I think that's one of the areas that I think is so key is that churches do see this as a time to say, hey, 
we need training. We need people who can help us know how to respond to survivors, to know how to care for survivors, to know how to train our leaders to recognize abuse, to know how to, um, to, to see when we are walking into areas that are on the margins even of abuse, maybe you know unintentionally. And so I think it's really important that they have that as their recommendation because oftentimes I, I know uh, the church is equipped to do a lot of things really well, but I think it's important for us to see that sometimes the church is not equipped to do all things. <laughs> and so this is one of those areas. And so I think as we get started though, let's just talk about survivors, Beth, because I think that's a key part of this. We know this has probably triggered a lot of people who have, whether you've read the report or not, maybe you've seen articles, certainly Russell Moore had some really fantastic articles out and podcasts that are coming out. Um, But yeah, let's just kind of talk about survivors. What would you want to say regarding survivors? Well, the first thing is that, I mean, obviously with the SBC report, they're talking about people who've experienced, specifically people who've experienced abuse within the church from a pastor or a church leader, and then were either silenced or not had, didn't have a space where they could go and talk about that with somebody mm-hmm. who would really listen and, and, and take into account and validate stories and things like that. Um, but more generally, I mean, our churches are full of trauma survivors. Our churches are full of abuse survivors. Mm-hmm. And so just generally, even you know, even beyond just thinking about somebody who is potentially experiencing abuse within the church, which is horrific, obviously, but I am <clears throat> I broaden it out in this moment to knowing that sitting in the pews of our churches, are so many people who've experienced something terrible and specifically people who've experienced abuse in their lives. And what happens when someone experiences abuse and then they're in a setting where we're supposed to have this close community with each other, we're supposed to be walking together in fellowship and and communion and worshiping together. And, and I just think the main thing that I have thought about and talked about, and it's been beautiful in our church family that I'm on staff with just having these conversations about what does it mean to come towards people who are are suffering in these particular ways? And how does their suffering affect living life out in community, in the church? Mm, and it mm-hmm. does. It has mm-hmm. an effect. So if you consider someone who's experienced abuse from someone else, what happens when something horrible happens to us naturally? We defend. We, we, we feel this sense that I need to put a wall up between myself and other people who are potentially dangerous. So I think recognizing that people who've experienced abuse, when they come into a setting at the church, they may have absolutely nothing against any of the people in the church, but they may still have their walls up. Yeah. And that's just something to be aware of and to mm-hmm. come towards, to recognize that that's not a, that defensive posture is not necessarily, it's not an offensive posture, it's defensive for self-protection. Mm-hmm. And that of, often our um, survivors of trauma, man, what they really want the most is to be seen and heard yeah. and to know that they have value and worth and dignity as human beings. Because as we know, what abuse does is it, ri- it seeks to rip away somebody's dignity and humanity. And so how do we as the church seek to res- to to bring restoration to that, right? To mm-hmm. to bring the 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 truth of the fact that somebody who's experienced that really does have dignity and value and worth and and everybody knows this. This is common knowledge among humans, right? If if you are talking with someone and you sense that they are coming towards you, that they get you, that they're attending to you and paying attention to your life, 
that means something really deep, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it can bring my walls down if I sense that you're with me, that you care about me. And so I would say that would be my first and foremost thing is that trauma survivors, abuse survivors specifically, they really, I don't think I've ever met one that didn't want to be seen and heard really at a core level and valued. And you talk about this. I know we work together on different trainings for um, helping the church get more trauma informed and how they can help um, survivors of trauma. You talk a lot about just exemplifying Jesus. Like we, just what you said right there, if the church could, could do anything right now for survivors is, is be like Jesus, which Mm. I love what you just said of he hears and he Mm. sees like, there's so many examples in looking at the life of Jesus, where you see him seeing people and hearing them. And even just as we, you know, their Psalms are full of, of places where you hear the, the, the struggler, the troubled person crying out and the Lord hears them. And I think that's a big thing that we don't want to miss is that if you are finding yourself in a church where you want to care for those who maybe this is part of their story and you feel very much like a lot of churches will feel what do we do? Like asking yourself that question, hear their stories and let them know you see them. And I also really loved how, you know, they're, it's not always going to look like somebody just coming up and saying, Hey, I'm abuse survivor. Oftentimes right. there's a lot of self-protection that goes on. And um, so, you know, going, going at a pace that I think is, is not a pace we're always comfortable with. Right. Really and I, yeah. And I think when I think about the fruit of the spirit and I think about, mm-hmm. um, patience and Mm -hmm. faithfulness. These are things that are sown into us by the spirit of God. I don't, I don't know very many people who would say they're naturally a patient person, right? It's like, this is something that the spirit of God does in us. And honestly, one of the ways that those, that fruit of the spirit has been sown more and more deeply into my heart is as I have slowed down enough and been patient enough to like come alongside others in their suffering, recognizing that there's nothing for me to necessarily even fix in a moment. There's lament, there's moments of grief Mm. that are meant to be done together and before the Lord that I don't, I don't have a solution for that. And it hurts and it's hard. Compassion hurts, right? (laughs) Like walking compassionately with people is painful, but, but it's a, it's the good kind of ministry and love. I mean, Jesus as the suffering servant, I, I, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that Jesus's greatest suffering came from his compassionate heart. The fact that he had so much compassion for those who were suffering and downtrodden and even rebellious, he hurt for them. And we're meant to do that. And, and it's not meant to necessarily be something that's um, that's hard or difficult. I think that's where people, you know, church members will struggle with like, well, how do I, you know, how do I help them? How do I tell them what to do? Or it's like, that's some, yeah. you know, we, as we, as church members come alongside each other, we actually are helping. We actually are, are serving them in bearing yeah. their burdens alongside them. So, so yeah, I mean, I think, um, survivors of abuse, man, they want to be seen and heard. They don't want to be, they don't want to be pressured. They've already been pressured. They've already right. been, backed into a corner in the abuse that they've suffered. And so to be able to know that they have choices and that they're able to um, to choose how much they share and when they share, if, if possible, and even like how they do community, to have mm-hmm. some element of choice there, I think is also really helpful for, for survivors of abuse, whether that's like, oh, we have home groups that meet in people's houses, but we also have these other kinds of things that you could do if you don't feel comfortable going to the house of a perfect stranger mm-hmm. that you've never met before, you know? So there's, you know, 
things like that, where I think um, giving people choices if possible. And I recognize, you know, some of our churches, some of our listeners probably are in small church settings, but it doesn't mean that you can't offer um, opportunities for options for people who, who might, you know, not necessarily yeah. want to do a certain kind of, of, of work in their discipleship yeah. process. I think another thing is I think about helping the abuse survivor is just the sim- simplicity of validating their feelings without necessarily having to know all the, the details of their story um, that will come. And, and you're kind of building in the clinical world, we call it the building, building rapport as you build rapport and trust by validating their feelings. Like these are, these are legitimate feelings and they make sense based on what you're, you're saying you've gone through Um, and not worrying so much about getting the facts right at the beginning. I think sometimes when we hear of something, if somebody says, you know, something happened to me uh, with my church leader, with my pastor or in my church, uh, it can, it can, we can kind of want to know the facts, like let's get Mm -hmm. to the details first. And what I would say is I would encourage those of you who are listening and you're saying, what can we do? Validate the feelings that a person has, you know, and, and in that you were built, you'll build that trust and you will get to the point where, um, truth will come out and and details will come out, but they're not going to come out if a person doesn't feel like they've been validated. If they don't feel like you can, I love that. I think it's Psalm nine, which says the, um, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. He, he isn't, he, he doesn't stand at the gate of the refuge and say, well, let me see if, if, you know, your story lines up well enough for me to, to be a refuge mm, for you. That's no, so he, good. he comes in and he says, I'm a refuge for how, for those who are oppressed. And so I think that's what we can do too, as well. So, mm, so good. really good. Yeah. Anything else, Eliza, as you think about, as we think about how do we, how, what, what advice, advice is the wrong word, but like suggestions or recommendations for leaders of churches. Um, because this can be, it is, it's such an overwhelming topic. There's so much to think about and so many possibilities of what we could do or what we should be doing. So thoughts about that just as an encouragement. I mean, here's the thing, like we could, we could do a, a long series on this and we're not, this is just a short podcast. We just wanted to have a short conversation just so that um, you could hear us talk about this because we traffic in this world a lot as, as trauma trained counselors and biblical counselors. But I think, you know, one of the things that first comes to my mind, if you are a church or somebody in a church or a leader in a church, or maybe you're a pastor and you're going, okay, great. This, yeah, those, that's how I want to care for survivors. But what do I do? I think it's important for everybody to hear that the church has limits. The church is not the end all be all. Obviously we know that this report exposes that we are, we have, do not have it figured out, but they have limits and they're going to make mistakes. But I, that's what I love about these recommendations that the task force has given is that they're seeing like we've made mistakes and we don't want to rest on our own wisdom and knowledge. We are limited. So I think the first thing you can do as a church is to recognize we are limited in knowing how to respond to this and knowing what to do. But I think it's actually helpful for the survivors to hear that too, Mm -hmm. to to realize like, hey, you know what? The church is not going to get it right every time. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things pastors are afraid of is like, I don't know what to do. So maybe it's better for me not to do anything. And yet they know that's not the right thing to do either. And so it can be a very fearful thing for them to know what to do. Yeah. And I will also say, adding to that, I think that's so important to recognize your limits. But then I think what sometimes happens in the church world is that whenever the church, uh, whenever church leaders sense their limits, 
they sort of throw up a bunch of maybe throw up like some boundaries or, 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 or defenses of like, we're limited. So here's what you need to make sure no. And like, please don't ask us to do more, which it makes sense, right? Like we, our limits can sometimes constrain us and make us feel mm. like, Oh, I'm, I'm stuck. But here's the thing. Part of recognizing our limits the beauty of it is being able to say we are human people and we're going to make mistakes, but that's not an excuse. That's actually, that's actually the ability to come humbly towards the flock, right? Yeah. We, we, we do not have all the answers for you, but we want to be good listeners and we want to help point you towards resources where we don't have them. That's a humble approach as opposed to like, we have limits. So please stop asking us for things, right? Or whatever, that's you know, a really like, good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that it does, uh, one thing that this has revealed as well that I I see as important for us to at least acknowledge as maybe our mistakes that we have made or are continuing to make is that um, it reveals a wrong view that we have of women. And I think that is important to say, we just did a podcast last week. If you, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. I think it's episode 39 on domestic abuse. And we talked with Jeremy Pierre and uh, Greg Wilson about uh, how does the church handle domestic abuse? And I think in some ways, when you look at domestic abuse, some of the reasons why the church has been so poor at handling it is because of our view of marriage. While mm. we have a high view of marriage, we value marriage. We can sometimes value it at the expense of having a God honoring marriage. And so people stay in a marriage thinking that they're honoring the Lord when all the while there's horrific abuse happening. And so we're not actually we actually don't have a good view of marriage when that happens, when we encourage a person to stay in a marriage for the sake of our view of marriage. Well, I think the same thing can happen. We say, we confess that we have a high view of women as the church. There are sisters in Christ, right? But what abuse does, especially as we're talking about this report, sexual abuse, we actually, we might confess that we have a high view of women as our sisters in Christ and we want to honor them. But what we're seeing there is that our, conf our confession does not line up with how we are living out. And the view of women that we have is that they are objects to be used or people to be discredited. And I, I, I would say that's worth mentioning in this, that, that we have made that mistake as a church. Um, that's one of the mistakes we've made is that we have had a wrong view of women. And instead mm -hmm. we need to actually, our response to abuse needs to align with our view or our confessional view of women, which is they are to be honored just like our brothers are to be honored. And uh, we view them as sisters. We want to believe them rather than discrediting them first and then figuring it out later. Hmm. So I think that does speak to that a little bit. Well, and and thank you for that. I think that's that's something to grapple with, right? It's something for all yeah. of us. I hope we can in humility go before the Lord and ask him to show us where we are viewing ourselves, others, and entities incorrectly. So mm -hmm. um, even, even as we think about a high view of the church, right? A high view of the church and what it does and the importance of what it does um, sometimes can cause a protectiveness of the church mm -hmm. or the leaders of those churches at the expense of what would be God honoring, which mm -hmm. would be to uh, humble ourselves and 
pay attention to the cries of those who've been oppressed and marginalized. So yeah, it's, it's, there's so much that can be done and that should be done. And I think in our sort of idealistic view, we get this, we get a lot of expectations around these things, which I know as a trauma survivor myself, who experienced some really, really hard things after that trauma within the church and with leaders of the church, as I tried to get help, man, I, my, it was like I I got to this space where I really didn't have hope that the church was the place where I could heal. Mm. But I also, anytime something small would happen that would show some hope, I would I would end up with these really high expectations, right? Like mm. of some of the I, I I want the church to do all of these things to sort of make up for this hard thing that happened and this bad thing. And we just we just need to keep interceding for our church leaders. We need to keep coming before the Lord and asking him to give us wisdom. And then the patience to recognize that this is a journey. We are all on a journey and we're meant to link arms and do it together with humility and with grace and with patience. And that includes our church leaders and our trauma survivors and perpetrators of abuse. Like, what does it look like for us to come alongside? So this is a long journey and a long road with a lot of conversations that are gonna need to happen. What we wanna tell you guys, our listeners, is that we have just uh, made a plan for creating a webinar that you guys can attend if you want to, and you can share this with church leaders, pastors, friends. Um, This really is for anybody who's a part of a church who wants to make a difference in the lives of abuse survivors. And so we're going to call this webinar the Trauma-Informed Church Responding Compassionately to Abuse Survivors. And this will be a three-hour webinar taught by Eliza and myself and our dear, dear friend, Jason Kovacs, who uh, oversees the Gospel Care Collective in California. Mm -hmm. And we are going to do this on July the 5th. So it will be on July the 5th. Um, and I'm going to give you the, what is, let me see. It's so different in every time zone, right? So like if you're in the Pacific time zone, it's from noon to three and then you sort of back it up from there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, we'll, we'll record the webinar live. We'll do it and we'll record it so that if you couldn't come to the live version of it, you will still be able to access the recording after the fact if you purchase the webinar. Um, but we hope you'll come live to the webinar because we're actually going to add on at the end some Q&A time that you can ask some questions if you come live. And if you if you watch the recording, you won't get access to that Q&A session that's at the end there. But um, what did I miss, Eliza? What else do I need to share? No, I think that's it. I mean, okay. our hope is, and that's the reason why we just wanted to hop on here and have this conversation. We, we recognize that the church is in a hard place right now. And for some people, they may feel like, see, this is why I I think the church is not for me anymore. And they may feel compelled to step away. But I actually want to say, I'm actually encouraged. We know in scripture, it talks about things need to come to light in order for healing to happen, in order for these things to change. It has to come to light. And so I'm actually very encouraged as a trauma trained counselor. I'm very encouraged at the response of the, uh, the SBC to the report. I'm encouraged that other churches are reading this and saying, what about us? I'm encouraged that pastors are listening to podcasts and looking for training. And so this is why we wanted to offer this training for you. It is a webinar that if you are a church leader, if you are a pastor, if you care about the church and want to know how to become trauma-informed and to respond compassionately to abuse survivors, we are offering this to you. And so Mm -hmm. there's going to be more details. It will be on the, um, 
Christian Trauma Healing Network website, which you can find in the show notes. And uh, we would encourage you to share it. But most of all, let's keep having these conversations with one another. Let's let's talk about this. Let's not let it be something that just becomes a news headline and then is gone. It needs to be the beginning of reform. And based on some of these recommendations, I think we have a lot of reason to believe better days are ahead for those who have been hurt in the church. And I think we have more confidence um, with these kind of things going forward because what we've been doing hasn't been working so Mm. far. I mean, and I think that's important for us to recognize it hasn't been working. We might say, oh, well, we put background checks in place. Well, if you know anything about background checks, you know, for a fact that this is talking about child sexual abusers, 90% of them have no criminal record to even find. And so we recognize that what we have done has not worked. And so this is a great time for big change to happen in the church. And we want to be a part of that as uh, biblical counselors and as clinically trained counselors who have specific training for trauma care. So look for that in the show notes, more information on that. But what I would just encourage you is to talk to one another. As I already said, Beth started this conversation with saying, Hey, the, one of the best things you can do is hear a person's story. Talk about how this is affecting one another. If you're in a church group or a small group or a Bible study or a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study, bring this subject up and say, how has this affected you guys? And be a listener, be a learner and be a person who after hearing these things is willing to lament with them to pray with them and to move towards some of these resolutions where we begin to say, okay, then let's get trained. Let's figure out how we need to go forward differently. So thank you guys so much for listening today. We know that um, these are, these are difficult times. These are hard times, but our prayer and our hope is that as we are exposed in these areas and we continue to talk about them and we seek better direction, the Lord is going to meet us there. We are seeking to incarnate Christ. So God is going to meet us in that. And we, we, have, we have hopeful uh, hearts towards the anticipation of better days for the church as a whole, because ultimately this is what the world needs. They, the world needs to see a body who is not perfect, but is looking to the Lord. So, so any any other thoughts, Beth, before we yeah, wrap up? Just reminding you guys that if you go to the show notes, you can go to the website for Christian Trauma Healing Network, which is going to sponsor this webinar. And we'll try to get, we've just decided to do this based on the report that came out. And so we're going to try to get all of the registration details up in the next few days, but keep watching it for um, for for the, the, the registration and the specifics about the webinar mm-hmm. itself. But it is coming July the 5th. And then the last thing we want to say is that next week we're starting a series and it's actually the oh, longest yes. series we've ever done oh, yes. um, on why. I'm excited about this. I know, I'm really excited about it. We're having some pretty awesome guests we come are. on the podcast over the next several weeks, and we'll be talking about specific groups of people and what would benefit them in going to counseling. So why would men benefit from counseling? Why would children, why would our children benefit from going to counseling? Why would counselors benefit from going to counselors, counseling and pastors and church planters? So we're going to talk with different guests who have really some some specific knowledge and wisdom in these areas and just kind of be able to hear from, from some, some guests about what what are the benefits of counseling for particular Mm -hmm. groups of people. So this will be actually the way we close out 
this season. So we'll be ending our first season of Council for Life with this long series. I know it's crazy. And we'll finish out at the end of July. And we just want to thank you, our listeners, because it just continues to grow. Mm -hmm. So I can tell we can tell that you're you're sharing this with others. And we're so appreciative of that. It's it's wonderful to be able to um, to have so so many good conversations with so many people. So thank you again to listeners and look forward to next week beginning our series on um, why particular people need counseling. So we hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Counsel for Life with Beth Broom and Eliza Huey. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please be sure to rate, share, and subscribe. And for more information, visit counselforlifepodcast.com.